Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. It's Thursday, September 8th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. A lot of people out there may have some regrets about their education. Just about two in five American graduates regret the major they took, with almost half of humanities and arts majors regretting their choice. After the Great Recession, the country took a big shift to STEM majors, and generally those students were happy with their decision. Andrew Van Dam, Department of Data Columnist at the Washington Post, joins us for the most regretted and lowest paying college majors. Next, as the uneven economic news leads to fears of a recession, people are worried about their job security as companies look to cut costs. The four kinds of employees most likely to get laid off in a downturn are new hires, high earners, millennials, and recruiters and coders. Aki Ito, senior correspondent at Insider, joins us for how those who benefited from the great resignation are most at risk. Finally, as overall pandemic worries continue to fade, one of the biggest curiosities continues to be long COVID. What causes it and who is the most susceptible? A new study says that psychological factors such as depression, anxiety, and loneliness could be better predictors than physical ailments. To be clear, it's not a causal relationship, but there is an association. Su-Wen Wang, research fellow at Harvard and lead author of the study, joins us for what to know. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Aerospace engineering, 4.7 million. Chemistry economics, also quite high. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have, say, a theology major who can only expect to earn about $2 million over their career. Joining us now is Andrew Van Dam, Department of Data Columnist at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. I am delighted to be here. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the most regretted and lowest paying of college majors. So what we're seeing is that almost half of those in the humanities and arts majors are regretting their choices. Who knows what the job prospects are like? We're seeing a lot of people that are going to STEM majors are having a lot to maybe better time with job prospects and, and higher paying jobs. They're not regretting it as much, but we're seeing that at least nearly two in five American college graduates have major regrets about the majors they went into. So, Andrew, I know you guys crunched the data there at the Department of Data. Tell us a little bit more about what we're seeing. Yeah, so um, while... Uh, about half of humanities and arts majors regret their major. Uh, only a quarter of engineering majors and slightly more computer science, math, and health majors do. So folks who are in those STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, math, and if you want to add an extra M, that would be medicine, tend to have substantially lower regrets. And yeah, that probably has something to do with the higher pay they're 
But there's another factor at work, too, and that is that since the Great Recession, our nation has kind of pivoted toward being extremely focused on STEM education. You'll remember Barack Obama calling it a Sputnik moment in his State of the Union address that we need to rally, focus on STEM, and compete with our international rivals such as China. Now, if you're a humanities major, you are suddenly seeing everyone focusing on STEM. You're looking at your degree and thinking, wait a minute, did I miss the boat here? What we're seeing is some data behind that, too. By 2021, we're seeing those uh, people that went into you know, history, English, religion. They're graduating less than half of the students that they did in the early 2000s, when that was kind of their heyday, when a lot of people were going into those fields. It is incredible the shift that has happened in just a decade. Computer science majors have nearly doubled. Nursing majors have nearly doubled. And meanwhile, we're looking at uh, history religion that have been cut almost in half. And the, uh, religion in particular, though, is one of the lowest earning majors, along with a lot of the fine arts and some of the humanities. What do we see when we look at vocational schools and vocational programs? Because, I mean, you're, you take some of those things and they lead to very good jobs, but sometimes you're kind of a little more narrow in the approach. So how do people uh, feel about those? That is a fantastic question, because all of the things we're saying would make you think that vocational majors would be thrilled because they're graduating with a specific job. They can walk out of school and often, you know, have a job offer almost immediately. So you'd think they should be thrilled about their major, but a large proportion of them, almost a third, have regrets. Now, we have a theory for that, and that is because a large number of vocational students are in for-profit programs, and for-profit education is almost universally far more regret than people who went to a classic public nonprofit or nonprofit type of school. Now, tell me a little bit about, uh, because it's not all bad news, let's say, with people that have gone into humanities and arts. There are a lot of experts that are kind of praising the fact that, you know, you learn a lot of critical thinking. You learn how to ask those hard questions. And that really matters a lot in a lot of different fields. So while maybe you're not taking a STEM course or a STEM major that leads you kind of down a pipeline, the other opportunities in humanities and arts kind of open up differently. They present themselves differently. Yeah. So if you look at earnings by the person's percentile uh, in the profession, you will see that the top quarter of, say, history majors earn far more than the bottom quarter of any STEM majors. So a lot matters on who you are, not just on what you study. And a lot of history majors and other humanities majors do find that Later on in their careers, the communications and critical thinking skills that they learned as a humanities major are quite valued even in traditional STEM fields. And so they are able to catch up and sometimes even gain ground on people who started out in STEM because they have skills that are highly valued in that field but are not widely taught in STEM courses. We always like to talk a little bit about the money and find out where everybody lands. So when we're looking at these majors, who's on top and who's way at the bottom? So in terms of earnings, it's probably best to look at lifetime earnings rather than earnings in any specific year, because if you spend longer in school, you're going to have less earning time over your life, even if you earn more year to year. So taking into account that entire life cycle The highest earning majors are engineering, typically, such as chemical engineering, where a typical graduate's going to earn $5 million over their career, or aerospace engineering, $4.7 million. Chemistry economics, also quite high. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have, say, a theology major who can only expect to earn about $2 million over their career. 
or a drama major around 2.4 million. Well, it'd be interesting to see more down the line. Obviously, we need more data to go through all this, but how any of this stuff we're seeing right now will compare to kids these days, you know, wanting to be like influencers and uh, video content creators. There was a story recently saying, you know, that more and more kids want to go into those kind of fields. So who knows what kind of college majors that demands, but then again, you know, uh, uh, what they do after that, you know, creating these videos, that would be uh, pretty fun to see some of that analysis. It certainly would, and I could imagine the humanities paying off fairly big in that segment because, again, it teaches you critical thinking and communication skills. Andrew Van Dam, Department of Data columnist at The Washington Post, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. It was fantastic. They've been doling out much higher salaries to these new hires than their existing employees. As a result, you know, because they're earning more, uh, they have more of a target on their back, so to speak, compared to some of the existing employees. Joining us now is Aki Ito, senior correspondent at Insider. Thanks for joining us, Aki. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about the four kinds of employees that might be most likely to be laid off during an economic downturn. So right now, We're definitely in uneven economic times. We're seeing 40-year high inflation. The Fed does look like it'll probably raise the interest rate again. There's fears of a recession that uh, a lot of people are still worried about. And one of the things that happens when that's going around are layoffs a lot of times. Uh, You know, businesses are trying to cut wherever they can, and sometimes they have to uh, get rid of some personnel. So uh, we're still, you know, in this tight labor market, but we're starting to see a lot of these cracks happen. We're seeing layoffs happen at startups and other companies. Some metrics say 40,000 people have been laid off so far. So people worry, am I next? So there was some data going around showing, you know, the kinds of people that have been getting laid off recently. So Aki, tell us who could be most at risk right now. So a workforce data provider called Revealio Labs looked at, you know, about 17,000 people who've been laid off since March. They looked at um, their LinkedIn profiles to be able to answer questions like, um, you know, how much tenure did the people who were laid off have versus, you know, those who escaped the layoffs? How much did they earn? How old were they? What kind of jobs did they perform? And what they found was really interesting because there were certain traits that people had that made them more vulnerable to these layoffs this time around. And new hires ended up being one of those particular ones. And, you know, we always hear that same, you know, that whole saying last in first out, Uh, you know, so the new guys on the job might be at risk here. Yeah. So the new guy is always at risk, you know, during a downturn. But this time they're especially at risk because of the very hot job market that we've had over the last year. You know, companies have been forced to compete just so fiercely for new talent that they've been doling out much higher salaries to these new hires than their existing employees. As a result, you know, because they're earning more, uh, they have more of a target on their back, so to speak, compared to some of the existing employees who are earning a little bit less at the moment. Yeah, and that's one of the themes that we had seen throughout the pandemic, right? The great resignation, people leaving for better pay, better conditions, better work-life balance, all of that. And there's this kind of theme that's running through all of these. We'll get to the rest of them right now. But that you know, one of the big takeaways is that if you benefited a lot from the great resignation, it's possible that you could be at risk just because of the way things have changed. So the next group of people, high earners, right? So this kind of is in 
the tale of the new hires, you know, a lot of people getting uh, better salaries as they started, but even longtime employees, higher earners, when companies are trying to trim some of that out, that's where they look to first a lot of times. Right. I mean, you know, layoffs are always about uh, cost cutting and the way you cut the most costs is uh, by cutting the people who earn the most. So this is pretty intuitive. This is always what happens in um, recessions as well. When you look at um, a bunch of different occupations, there seems to be like about a $10,000 difference between the people who are laid off and everybody else. The people who are laid off seem to be earning about $10,000 more than everyone else. So that does go to show, you know, if you earn a lot of money at your company, then that puts you at risk as well. All right. This next group has never really had a lot of good luck, it seems like, uh, millennials. In the current round of layoffs, I think, uh, you know, other metrics, right? We're looking at uh, different things, uh, different data that we have here in these current round of layoffs. They uh, Millennials made up 79% of the workforce, but 94% of the layoffs. Yeah. So, you know, you're absolutely right that millennials have had it very hard over the last decade or decade and a half. You know, over the last year, though, they were really one of the biggest beneficiaries of this booming job market. They were finally able to get out of their low paying jobs and, you know, move into these uh, positions where, you know, they had better titles, better pay, um, better working conditions. Um, But because millennials really took advantage of this moment of, of a really tight job market, as a result, they are more vulnerable right now too. Gen Z workers, for example, they switch jobs a lot during the pandemic too, but because they're still so young, they're not earning enough to really make it worthwhile for companies to cut them. Whereas millennials, they're you know starting to earn quite a bit. And so as a result, they have much more of a target on their backs. Recruiters, obviously, right? You know, if companies aren't hiring, they're not going to need the services of those looking to help hire more people. But coders also figure into this. And when we're talking about startups and all sorts of companies handle, you know, the the people that are handling the back end of things, you would think they're some of the more critical employees that would be sticking around. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, software engineers, for example, tech companies tend to, you know, really hold on to software engineers until the very end because, you know, engineers are considered so core to what they do. Uh, But this time around, it does seem like software engineers have been overrepresented in the layoffs. And I think that really goes to show just how much these software engineers ended up getting overpaid during this great resignation. Um, Companies were just going so overboard and giving engineers such crazy salary offers that they're now kind of stepping back and thinking like, oh, we went too far. We can't sustain this. We we can't afford this anymore. And so they're cutting a lot of their software engineers as a result. Aki Ito, senior correspondent at Insider. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, 
Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. What we found is that these psychological conditions are even stronger predictors for long COVID as compared to those physical conditions you just mentioned, like diabetes, hypertension, and obesity in our cohort. Joining us now is Suwen Wang, research fellow at Harvard and lead author of this latest study on long COVID. Thanks for joining us, Suwen. Thank you. It's my honor to be here. Well, let's talk about long COVID right now. You know, in a lot of ways, we've seen the pandemic subside. Many have been infected. Many have had their vaccines and booster shots. But a big curiosity that still remains in all this is long COVID. You know, so these are people that have been infected with COVID and then the symptoms remain for sometimes months after even they might be testing negative. And one of the big things that we don't know is why exactly it happens and who might be more susceptible. You know, a lot of people have said if you're immunocompromised or have hypertension, different physical things, you know, could increase your risk for long COVID. But this new study, Sue, that you were working on shows that some psychological stressors are also indicators of a more likelihood of this. So depression, anxiety, loneliness, a lot of times these are predictors of experiencing long COVID. So tell us a little bit more about the study, Sue Thank you for the introduction of our research and thank you for interest in our research. So briefly, what we did was from early in the pandemic, we followed more than 54,000 people for a year. Over that year, more than 3,000 contracted COVID-19. So we asked them about their COVID symptoms and how long they lasted. We found that psychological distress prior to infection, including depression, anxiety, worry, perceived stress and loneliness were significantly associated with increased risk of long COVID. These was not explained by health behaviors such as smoking or by physical health conditions like asthma. And interestingly, what we found is that these psychological conditions are even stronger predictors for long COVID as compared to those physical conditions you just mentioned, like diabetes, hypertension, and obesity in our cohort. Finally, among those who developed long COVID, we found that people with higher psychological distress before getting COVID were also had a higher risk of getting daily life impairment due to long COVID, and they report more symptoms of long COVID. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. I mean, if people had reported two or more types of these distressors, it increased their risk by 50%. That's how much it could have increased it. So they're just more susceptible to all that stuff. And to be clear, having stress and anxiety and depression, all this doesn't necessarily mean it's going to cause long COVID. You know, it's not a causal effect per se, but there is an association about having a lot of these stressors in your life. So what we did was an observation study so we can not say it's causal, but after trying to account for those demographic factors like age, sex, race, ethnicity, and also those physical conditions, we try to disentangle the effect whether these psychological conditions are more strongly predictors than those physical conditions. 
Now, a lot of times when we're talking about long COVID, as I mentioned, you know, these are prolonged symptoms after having COVID. A lot of times people say they'd experience, uh, you know, the brain fog, being very lethargic, just being super tired. And a lot of people will say, well, a lot of they're, they're just kind of carrying this in their head. It's just a psychological thing for them. And to be clear, again, th that's not what the study is showing as well. I mean, it's not that it's all in your head. It's a purely psychological thing. There are some physical symptoms that do persist as well. But uh, just because you've had some of these symptoms before does not mean it's just a purely psychological phenomenon. Exactly. So our results should not be misinterpreted as supporting the hypo hypothesis that it's all in our heads. First of all, among those who develop long COVID, around half of them did not have any psychological distress at baseline. And most importantly, when we excluded people who only reported fatigue, headache, those kind of psychological and neurological symptoms as their long COVID symptoms, the results were almost identical. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that um, all of this just really makes more of a call for giving more people access, obviously, to mental health care. We saw people go throughout the pandemic and really suffer a lot. Their mental health suffered a lot. And again, you know, just having these things before could make this very novel virus, you know, treating our bodies in a crazy different way than they've ever felt before could also exacerbate some of those things. So I know that's been one of the calls as well is to pay more attention to it and have better accessibility for mental health. Yes, exactly. Especially with our findings that these are even stronger predictors than those well-established risk factors of those physical conditions. We definitely need to understand that mental health conditions and physical well-being are so strongly interconnected and we need to make care accessible and improve the quality of care for those who need it. Suen Wang, research fellow at Harvard and lead author of this latest study on long covid Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Have a good one. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter or Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... <laughs> Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.